Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to the Clashing Sabers Network. Here we go again. We're home. I bypassed the compressor. You were the chosen one! Something truly special. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Brandon, and I am here with my co-host, my co-pilot. He is... Well, I guess that's me, isn't it? It's Drew. Hey, guys. It's Drew. Hey, Drew. How are you today? You know, I'm doing well. I hope you guys are you're, you're doing well as, uh, as well. <laughs> that great <laughs> well, thing is going real well to this night. Like, hey, guys, it's been a long couple weeks in a row, and we're heading into the fun time of the year. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, uh, how's, that, uh, how's that homeschooling going for you there? Well, I'm only down to having to be an elementary school teacher one day a week, so that's not so bad. I only get yelled at and screamed at and cried at once a week instead of five days a week. So we're, we're moving in the right direction. So please... Wear your masks, don't go out into large crowds, and uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I, of course, am like, I'm all in person now, and actually our whole district has gone all in person. Are you except, really? Yeah, except for people who are, uh, like, who have been exposed, then those, they're quarantined for the necessary sure, time sure. and all of that stuff. And um, But just in case you were, you know, just hoping that, you know, this is just a phase that your kids will get over the whining and complaining and crying and stuff like that. I would just like to, you know, just quell those thoughts and tell you it, it doesn't happen. <laughs> they, they never, they never stop. They never stop. They just get bigger. So, um, <laughs> well, eventually mine will move out. You keep sticking with the same age group for years and years and years. That's your own dumb fault. That's not anybody else's problem. You, you are correct there. You are correct. I am an idiot. Um, but so what, do we do? That, what do we do on this here podcast, Brandon? We, uh, we, we talk about, um, I think it's Star Trek. Is that? Oh, I've heard of that. It's good. Okay, cool. I, uh, I probably should watch that, but I haven't. So we're going to talk Star Wars because, guys, there's so much Star Wars. There's so much Star Wars that we had to bring in more people to the team. Uh, we had to expand the Clashing Sabers family. And you probably have already listened to the episode. If you were subscribed to our feed, it showed up for you uh, free of charge right there in your feed. Um, but if you haven't, we have our good friends, Sammy B and Zach Chrisman, the Lord of Lore, who are now officially members of the Clashing Sabers family. So, Sammy, Zach, welcome. Hello. You started hey, out saying like, oh, hey. <laughs> oh, there we go, talking over each other. <laughs> That's normally what we do, Sam. <laughs> uh, stay true to form. No, I mean, so, it's, it's definitely good to be here. It's, uh, it's been a welcome. You guys have welcomed us, uh, and it's been, it's been a good adjustment. Um, we're, we're very happy to be here talking Star Wars with you, and um, it's kind of one of those weird things where the force just kind of worked it out and it was like a random little conversation between me and you and it turned into a whole thing and so far so good. I mean, it's, it's, uh, thank you, uh, everyone from the Clashing Sabres team for having us, uh, a part of the team now because it's, uh, it's a good feeling and we definitely love expansion and we want to all just grow with our our podcasting network and we want to make this the focal hub for people who want to listen to star wars podcast 
Nice. Yeah, and 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 I mean, we we were we were talking about it, and you know, you guys have been on. Um, most of you listening have probably, if you keep up with "Don't Burn the Sacred Text," you've heard you've heard these guys on before, and. Uh, I, I know Zach. At least you and I have done a Clashing Sabers episode together. Um, I, Sam, I don't I don't know if we've had the the pleasure of doing an actual Clashing Sabers episode together, but it just made it made a lot of sense to to bring us all together and uh, bring some more clashing to the the Clashing Sabers family. So definitely make sure uh, <laughs> that you are subscribed to the V. Because if you like any aspect of Star Wars, we try to have you covered here at Clashing Sabers, and Sith Talk is a big part of that. So. Uh, guys, I wanted to kind of just give you an opportunity to introduce yourself to our listeners. For those of you, uh, for those listening who haven't checked out that episode of Sith Talk uh, quite yet. So, Zach, I'm going to throw it to you first because you are the Lord of Lore. So tell us a little bit about like kind of your Star Wars story and uh, what you are, what your fandom is about like right now. Well, I think, um, well, definitely my Star Wars story started uh, 1999. The Phantom Menace. Um, I might have seen Star Wars before that, but my first recollection was The Phantom Menace. And the thing I fell in love with, um, you know, no, you know, all jokes aside, like Jedi, Sith, that religious bond and these two lines between two powerful sides that were fighting to take, to defend or take control of the galaxy. Um, I immediately fell in love with. Qui-Gon Jinn, I wanted to know who the man in the hood was because I didn't piece it together back then. <laughs> and I went home and I cut, you know, cardboard lightsabers, made lightsabers out of cardboard and fought with my buddies because that's all we had that night. And I was so hyped up. So we just fought with cardboard lightsabers and um, I would buy the toys. They had the little like communicators and the fandom just never died. I think I signed on to their magazine slash book club when I was like in fourth and fourth and fifth grade. And um, I remember the revenge of the Sith being like one of the biggest events of my childhood, finally getting to know how Anakin became Darth Vader. Mm -hmm. And then as I grew older, um, because I was a little late to the party with old Republic, I, I started playing Knights of the Old Republic and I immediately fell in love because it was everything that I loved about Star Wars, but more glorified. And you got to play a Jedi and you could choose to be a Sith and you can make these choices and you could learn how the Jedi started, how the Sith started, this war, this epic story. You learn more about these Mandalorians and the war that they created. And I, I was just hooked on lore. It's, it's you know, I'm the lore of lore. It's a, it's a running joke. But literally, I, I was hooked on lore. I was hooked on the world and the mystical arts of the Force. So that's really what has kind of propelled me to this day. I still love the Jedi. still love the Force. I love all Star Wars. I love all Star, Star Wars. I mean, I, was, I just finished a certain point of view. And there's a couple chapters that are totally wonky. And I love it, too. Um, but the Jedi and Sith have always been my thing. And that's what truly makes me a Star Wars fan is learning more about these people who mm. are in a fight that they will never really stop fighting. They're, they're never going to stop. And one's up, one's down, and we just get to watch it unfold. That's awesome. 
Yes, that, that, that push and pull is, you know, whether it's in, you know, light versus dark or, you know, uh, however you want to frame it is an, is a really that duality is an important part of Star Wars and something that makes it, um, I think, something that's endlessly compelling because we're always trying to answer that question of what's right and what's not and, uh, you know, do the ends justify the means and those kind of things. And we'll get into that some more today when we are uh, talking about our topic, but... Sammy, you you like the Jedi and the Sith, but but your your fandom is quite different. So tell us a little bit about your Star Wars story and and what you're into now. Um, I got my start with Star Wars before Phantom Menace, which I I had to have documented proof of it. And actually, my sister was digitizing some VHS tapes, and there's a Christmas 1997 where I unwrap a Admiral. Akbar action figure and literally go in my <laughs> slurred little voice, it's Star Wars, and start singing the Imperial March. It is on the, uh, I posted it on Christmas Day on the Sith Hawk Instagram. And it was uh, when Lucasfilm was doing all the re releases, the theatrical re releases of, um, you know, 456. They did the box set, the last one before they went to the, the, uh, the, the no, I don't know if it was the last one. The special editions? Yes. Well, it was the last one before the special editions. Okay, the, the THX. So the THX ones, yeah. The, and that oh, was, I, I that wore those. The greatest. Out, and <laughs> that's where it started for me. And I, I grew up a, a, despite my eloquent speech, um, I grew up a farm boy. And I remember just resonating with Luke so much about wanting to go out there and go on adventures and see the world and the, the, the means of that, although it was the call to the Force and being a Jedi, was ships. The Millennium Falcon, X-Wings, Star Destroyers, they always just captivated me. So when in 1999, where a lot of us in her generation finally kind of got that, that dramatic baptism of the silver screen, um, it, that, that film just took, me, took my breath away. And I remember one of the sequences that still stands out in my mind is the, the pot, ra- pot racing sequence, which is such a George Lucas thing because his first big film was American Graffiti. Mm-hmm. And so to this, this, this lovely cocktail of you know, the, the great space opera combined with Speed Racer, basically, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was like crack. So um, since that point, Star Wars has always just been a facet of my life. Um, I remember still eagerly as a kid in grade school trying to, when we first heard the word Attack of the Clones, I remember my idea was, my theory, you know, I was already hosting a podcast in kindergarten, um, was that (laughs) they were going to clone Darth Maul and he was just going to attack them a bunch of times. Like, that's, that was, and that was just how into it I always was. That sounds like a great movie, by the way. (laughs) I guess I should have made it. Um, Yeah, so I always was a, a spaceship uh, more mechanical side of Star Wars, the the more the war side, even though I'm not, not lore, I'm not saying I don't enjoy that, because if you were to ask me who was my favorite superhero, I would tell you Luke Skywalker. You know, I didn't want to be Superman or Batman, I wanted to be Luke, but Luke just wasn't a Jedi, he was the pilot that destroyed the Death Star, he was the pilot that was zipping around the legs of the AT-AT, so... Um, yeah, it was funny because I, you know, Zach talks about how how much of a momentous event um, Revenge of the Sith was for him. I remember it almost being kind of depressing 
because I remember walking out of that and just kind of going, well, I guess that's that. Granted, I was still just a dramatic mm. kid. Um, and just kind of going, huh, I don't know what I watch now, because, like, they're done. They wrapped it up. Um, of course, later on, we got Clone Wars and much, much more to come later. Um, but, yeah, it, it is not to say that I don't enjoy the lore side of it, but the... The Jedi and Sith are a fascinating aspect of Star Wars I've always enjoyed, but I know what really gets my my blood pumping and me super hyped is the the grandiose of the space battles, um, the the thrill of it. And I mean, Star Wars is a a drama, a, an opera. It's um, it's just an over a top fun event. So, I, there, I guess, well and. It's really like it's an expression of who you are because you know you're into you know bike racing and your uh, NASCAR racing that you do like that excitement level that that seeking of almost adrenaline seeking is kind of something that you it's it's part of who you are so like it makes a lot of sense that that would be part of your main Star Wars focus and to take it into a broader sense that is truly the beauty of star wars and why it has transcended media and time is that where so many other shows or, or films are one i don't want to call it one note but they they have a niche star wars has the the beauty and the luck that it can be all things to all people and so zach and i can be both fervent star wars fans yet have such different um standpoints of what really does it for us and to to expand beyond that and why it's so important for um you know diversity that um other people get to have things that really represent them within star wars that's why i mean i, I was just um re-listening not re-listening finally listening to uh um from a certain point of view and how they're they're not afraid to shy away from you know, gay love stories and how important that is to to young fans to have that. And that's what makes Star Wars so great and exciting is that they're they're always giving something to someone, whatever that might be, to you. So Zach and I But it doesn't feel much. forced either. That's Never, what's really no. cool about that. Exactly. It, it like, doesn't feel forced. So many nice. other mediums could try that and they would not succeed in the way that Star Wars is able to really do that, which is such a unique and amazing thing and why I think it's such a cultural touchstone for the world part of what's great about star wars is the fact that like as you change it changes with you because you know you were talking sammy you were talking about you know relating to luke skywalker when you were growing up and i did not like luke skywalker that much growing up which is ironic now but i related a lot to dark darth vader because i i this is really depressing to say as like a teenager but i saw the darkness in myself and i I knew something wasn't right. I, you know, I, I connected with that part of Vader um, that, you know, looking back now, it's almost like I wish I had more of this story that we have now about how, how truly tragic his situation was. And, and I wonder how that would have influenced me. But, you know, now growing up, I relate more to Luke Skywalker, you know, uh, particularly like the last Jedi Luke Skywalker and the failed teacher and things like that. So it, it evolves with you without ever having to change. And I think part of that is because it doesn't try to provide every single answer, you know, which is something that I think is really special. I think a lot of, uh, a lot of other, uh, 
movies, books, things like that, they, they try to uh, answer the questions that they ask. They try to answer every single question that they ask, and Star Wars doesn't necessarily do that. Um, it answers the big questions, but leaves stuff for us to interpret, you know, that minutia and that, um, that kind of stuff. So it gives us that avenue to understand it all in different ways. Absolutely. So, speaking of understanding Star Wars in different ways, um, we would be remiss if we didn't discuss the Mandalorian. Um, because, oh my god. So, <laughs> we're not gonna, we, we got a big episode, so we're not, we're not gonna talk too, too long about Mandalorian, but just, spoiler alert for all the, uh, the episodes of Mandalorian that, ha- that have been released so far, so chapters, uh, 9, 10, and 11. Spoilers. Seriously, skip ahead or go watch The Mandalorian because I'm going to spoil it. Guys, they mentioned Ahsoka. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, they came right out with it. They didn't even tease it. They're just like, oh, yeah, ooh. guess where you're going? Ahsoka title. Boom. I just, ooh. Like, I, I feel targeted, honestly. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like... Yeah, I feel they like they know for you by name in this episode. This was basically, We're gonna get that hey, guy. yeah, let's go get them. <laughs> I yeah, I don't know what I did to them, but there's like, oh, we're gonna just mention Ahsoka, but then make you wait, you know, a whole maybe a week, maybe more. Like you got an Amazon was- ad, <laughs> Ahsoka Tano, come check out next time. <laughs> God, Tano, <laughs> come next week. Oh man, I'm gonna walk down the street and there's gonna be one of those guys with a trench coat. He's gonna be like, "You want some Ahsoka Tano? I got uh, all kinds." So right. It's gonna have all the that's action r- figures. That's really wrong. Don't don't do uh, that. Don't talk to those guys. Blue sabers and green sabers, oh, whatever you want. I got them. Thank you, Sammy, for having my back on that one. Okay. Of uh, having your back on Ahsoka Tano. That's why you have me here, right? <laughs> that's true. Pretty much. That's 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 it. <laughs> Um, I'll tell you what, how badass... Okay, again, spoilers, 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 spoilers. Bo-Katan and yeah. made my heart sing in such a way that I was not prepared for when, like, when she entered in and just was like, oh my god, oh my god. Like, I, like again, I knew they were going to find the Mandalorians, and I kind of, you know, we all knew that, like, again, us being so on the pulse for what's coming in Star Wars, it does kind of take some of the, the surprise away when we know that, hey, Katie Sackhoff is supposed to be reportedly in uh, The yeah. Mandalorian. It does kind of suck some of the fun, but that moment hit so hard when her voice rang through and they nailed her outfit to just perfection. It looked exactly how you it. And when she took her helmet off, and that moment was just like, to know... That's Bo-Katan. That's not someone trying to be Bo-Katan. That is Katie Sackhoff, the voice actor, being her. And that the power of that, I hope, still comes through for Ahsoka. And that was the second thing I thought, is that this is so good. I hope that they can get that same magic across for Ahsoka. And I wonder how it will go. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's, one, that's one of the things that I was, like, overly concerned. Uh, not overly concerned, but I was... I was kind of concerned that um, being that the Clone Wars has such a distinct style in the animation and, and the Mando helmets look considerably different than what we've been used to, 
you know, like with Boba Fett and even the Old Republic or, you know, they just looked a little bit different. I didn't know how it would translate, but the moment that showed up, I was like, okay, this one looks awesome. Two totally fits with live action. It's It was like really kind of unreal how much everything fit. And it just goes to the costume art or the, the costume artists who develop and design these things because it's not just like, oh yeah, you, you're going to take this design and you're going to render it. Like you have to make it look, make that design look believable, but still be that design and still look like that. And I think that's a true art form. I think everybody on visual effects with this show and on the um, costume design, especially costume design for sure, knocks it out of the park. I mean, the amount of different aliens you get in this show already, I, I feel like you see so much more um, in this show than we ever have in Star Wars because it's really kind of like, I mean, I guess technically The Last Jedi has the most aliens in one scene, but it just feels more incorporated versus like this is a human part and then this has aliens. It feels more like mixed in and blended well together. Everything just seems super blended when it comes to prequel flavor, original trilogy flavor, Clone War flavor. Everything feels blended when it comes to that and the aliens and the actual world. Like, I actually feel like I'm walking in his shoes. And that's, I mean, you you, you have to give credit to the visual designers, you know, like everybody, like down to the, the lighting and, and everybody deserves so much credit because you can tell that they're going back and they're, they're working to get that right, right? And, I mean, this is, this is kind of like the dream show because you can have a casual Star Wars fan come in and watch it and, you know, enjoy it. And then it also feeds those of us who are looking at every frame, right? And um, who want those connections and are looking at the lore. And the way that the way that they build the world um, and they bring in things like the crate dragon um, that we've heard about and make it feel like, oh, of course, that's the uh, what the crate dragon looks like. But then also bring in new elements like the frog lady um, and <laughs> old elements like the the uh, knobby white spiders from the Ralph McQuarrie painting, which, by the way, are not the Krikna from Rebels, just to clarify. Um, that's something that's been going around. And it was confirmed by one of the creators that it's not the uh, exact same species. Maybe a brother, maybe sister species, something like that. But anyways. Um, Did not know that. Yeah, so, but but being able to bring in those elements, um, it just is is something that is so compelling. And at the same time, to tell a story that happens on so many levels, like, it's just, the more you dig into it, it it's so deep. But also, you can just sit and watch it as just a fun TV show, which is what makes Star Wars special. I mean, I know uh, Michelle Whitledge and I are, have been texting all day. We, we do every Friday when Mando comes out because we're just looking at all the metaphors and stuff. And she gets into it on uh, Unknown Regions pods, which you should definitely be listening to. But we're just going back and forth. And just like all the, the layers and layers and layers of storytelling that are going on are, I mean, honestly, something that that hasn't, it hasn't really happened, I don't think, as much in the Disney era um, to this extent. Um, this was kind of, to me, was like a George Lucas specialty, was this 
multiple levels of world building and metaphor and meaning and subtext um, is something that very few creators in general have been been able to do. And I think it's a testament to, um, you know, Favreau and Filoni writing and creating the show overall, but all the directors that are involved, all the uh, visual designers, you know, like, cause it, it, it's obvious, it's not Favreau and Filoni coming up with every single one of these things, you know, this is a, a collaborative effort. And so it, it really is, I mean, it's, it's you could, you, undeniably. You could definitely tell, yeah, you could definitely tell that they have the guiding hands though behind it, like, especially yeah. in this episode, which... This is what this definitely falls into the category. If you had to make, if you had done your homework for this episode, you definitely came away with it a whole lot more than somebody who's more new to the instances that they have here. I mean, my kids who are are in elementary school, um, have, we have watched like the first season of Rebels and like the first two three seasons of of Clone Wars. Had no idea who these characters were, and there's no opportunity for me to like really stop and say, oh well, okay, she was leader of this group and they had a big fight. And if you watch the the last season of Clone Wars, she's big involved in it. It's really important. And so it's interesting. They brought her back, blah, blah, blah. It was neat that the, this episode actually answered a lot of the questions, Brandon, that you and I and Lindsay talked about last time, because we wanted to know better how the different Mandalorian sects all kind of, um, interacted, viewed each other, would they compete for dominance and whatnot, and we kind of see that being borne out. Um, but my well, and criticism is, is, the, is the, the amount of homework that has to go into understanding everything that this episode wanted to offer is a lot. Um, and I don't know, it's, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because the first episode of season two is just as heavily requires people to know their stuff in order to get what's going on. My but I don't think it does. Episode. I don't I, think it does because you have to think about it. She, he's this. He's looking for a Mandalorian. He finds a Mandalorian, and as a viewer who doesn't know anything about these people, they have found new Mandalorians who are awesome, look awesome in new armor. If you've never, I mean, if you've never seen these characters, you saw a different type of Mandalorian, and you learned that not all Mandalorians are like the Mandalorians that you've seen in season one. And so that's what you can piece together that he may not be a part of the actual Mandalorians or he might be, or he could be a yeah. part of a cult or are they real? Do we trust them? Now we trust Bo-Katan a little bit more because we know the big picture. But if you really look at it and the vibes that I've gotten from people at work who are like, oh yeah, did you watch episode one? That, uh, that Cobb Vanth guy, he was super cool. I really liked him. And I was like, yeah, well, that's really funny. I mean, we you know, he was in the first chapter or in um a, in the first Aftermath book. Aftermath, and yeah. You, yeah, people thought he was like this Boba Fett character, but then you realized he was just an actual guy wearing the armor. And, you know, and they were like, yeah, that's cool. He was a really cool character. And they people retain more than you think. It's just what's nice about this as um, it's just not as in front of your face. So, like, if you have watched everything that we've watched, you're getting a big reward and if you haven't, that's fine, because guess what? A, if you're interested, you can backtrack to this source, which makes more viewership for The Clone Wars and more book, book sales for Aftermath. Or B, mm-hmm. you got a new character that is uh, completely original <laughs> to you that you just figured out. That creature's been terrorizing these parts since long before most Pelgo was established. Thanks to this armor, I've been able to protect this town from 
bandits, sand people. They look to me to protect them. But a great dragon is too much for me to take on alone. Help me kill it, I'll give you the armor. The first episode, again, to go back to it, had the same kind of thing where someone who watches ep- the episode one of season two doesn't know who that last shot is about. Like the last shot where Tamora Morrison turns and faces the camera and basically looks us dead in the eye and goes, eh, eh remember me? Can I give you a good example of, of people, the audience, learning without any idea? So you go back to the Avengers. What was the end credit scene? This purple guy. Nobody know, knew who Thanos was, and slowly over time, the writers slowly showed us who he was. We didn't know who that purple guy was unless we Googled it and looked through it right. and really wanted to know more. We learned slowly over time, and I think um, you will learn as a viewer who has not seen this stuff, you will learn as a viewer slowly over time what her motivations are and what she's going to do. You will learn who that weird guy with the... Uh, who is staring into the camera on the sunset. Eventually you will learn that um, because why would they put it up there if, um, if I certainly if hope they so, weren't going to elaborate. That's definitely the direction that I want it to go. And right now I have no reason to believe that they won't. They, they did such a good job, especially going back to the first season when the fifth chapter ended where they, oh, I don't remember the target's name, but she's dead on the ground and you hear the, the spurs jangling and you see the boots walk up. The, those of us who know what that's supposed to mean explode, but you don't get any fulfillment until season two. I'm a fan of that. Don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of this stuff. But when I compare episode three here, or chapter 9, 10, 11, to chapter 10, which is a fully contained story, that one, chapter 10, got my kid's attention a whole lot better and held it a whole lot more than chapter 11 did. So I've just been trying to figure out how, why that's been all throughout, throughout today, and it's very interesting to see what grabs their attention versus what are they less interested in seeing or, or they, are they really paying attention to what's going on. I think it's great that there's stuff for those of us who have seen the older things, who have read the books, um, and, and rewards and treats for that. I think that kind of stuff is fantastic. It's something I think the movies were kind of lacking that we're seeing now rewards put in all of the Mandalorians. I really hope they keep that up. So I enjoy this one. It's, eh, it's not my favorite of, the, of season two yet, but there's so much coming that I think is going to be fantastic. I really hope they bring all of these characters back at the end for one you know two-hour finale special or something like that where we get to see everything break apart and all kinds of fighting going down. This could be so fun. I mean, I think building intrigue is one of the best things to get new fans interested. I mean, you say, oh, well, they didn't explain this explicitly. I mean, if they did, the episode would take forever. And I don't think that's also interesting cinema. I mean, that modern television is cinema. It's just a different style of it. Um, I, the, this episode did a lot all the time it had a great pace of action and humor and drama and intrigue and the first one i remember feeling kind of like okay i get it it's a it's a your typical all oh, this town ain't big enough for us kind of western feely thing you understand Cobb Banth is trying to help his town we have to unite the oh the 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 wild people out there versus the civilized town folk we don't want them here we're little town people like that's a classic story where 
the newest one was something important to the Star Wars story. And I think leaving some questions open are things that, if you're a new fan that is excited about this episode, also, we're talking about two different audiences. Case in point, you just said my kids. My mm-hmm. kids weren't catching all of this. I don't think Mandalorian was designed to be that show for kids. Resistance hmm. is something I can hugely appreciate, but it's not designed for me. It's designed for younger children to have a simple plot, have some silly boop, 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 boop kind of fun moments. Mandalorian has always been for an older audience or an audience that has a huge amount invested. They're counting, Hmm. nay, needing and wanting people to discuss this show like we are right now to your friends, to the public. So someone goes, who was that guy at the end? That's great for them because that gets people in the populace talking about their show oh that's this you would love this this is such a cool thing like that excitement that energy that thrill that's part of the fun of star wars is that discussion and i don't think necessarily they have to perfectly explain ah of course this is bogotan let's take a couple minutes to explain bogotan bogotan tell us about yourself you know these are all things that i think i don't want to say are designed to have us discuss but for the extreme hardcore fan us um, it is a, a payoff of massive degree. And to someone who watches that show and is excited, that goes, that's the birth of a fandom there. That's someone going, I want to know more. This is cool, but I want to know more. Okay, they go mm-hmm. down that path. They watch the Clone Wars. They learn about that. They read this for him. They read that for him. That's Star Wars, baby. Like, Star Wars is about <laughs> digging deep and, like, I want to know more, so I don't think you necessarily have to have everything on the platter. No, I, I agree. You're right. You don't you don't want to have everything a hundred percent spoken through dialogue. You know, that's not gonna be attractive to anybody's entertainment senses. I, I definitely agree with that sentiment there. I think it's it, it again, this was good. It was it was not bad. Uh, really enjoyed it. So I, I, I'm a fan of that kind of thing, and especially the way they did it in se- like in season one. Well, okay, so again, keep in mind, the show is The Mandalorian. It's not, it's not about the... It's about Din Djarin and his, and his adventures and his growth as a character, uh, first and foremost. The things that spin around him are equally interesting, but they, but they exist, I would say, primarily to inform us about him as a character. And that was something interesting to see in this one, where you could hear his faith in the, his his Mandalorian sect being shaken and challenged, and that was fascinating. I hope we get more of that, where he has to confront the possibility that maybe he's not been on the side he thought he was the whole time. Maybe there's more out there that's not been told to him. Thank you. I've been searching for more of our kind. Well, lucky we found you first. I've been quested to deliver this child. I was hoping that... Where did you get that armor? This armor has been in my family for three generations. You do not cover your face. You are not Mandalorian. He's one of them. Dink Ferrick. One of what? I am Bo-Katan of Clan Kreese. I was born on Mandalore and fought in the Purge. I am the last of my line. 
And you are a child of the watch. That's a big question about the whole season is what is a Mandalorian? Like, yeah, absolutely. you have, you have Cobb Vanth who's wearing the armor and shouldn't, but acts like a Mandalorian should. And then you have, you know, this abandoned, you know, if you know who Boba Fett is, then you've got that extra element on there. If you don't, it's a mysterious guy that you're going to learn more about. And now you've got this other group coming in who is calling Din's people a cult, but I mean, from Ooh, our, from I what, loved that. <laughs> right. What did, wasn't that validating as anything after our conversation? Um, it so but, was. I felt so good. I know, right? <laughs> uh, but but like, we have that that deeper knowledge of it. But again, it's just there's these are a different set of Mandalorians, and essentially, you know, I I think it's essentially asking the same thing. And and this is why I think Ahsoka is going to fit well in this series. It's asking us the same thing the prequels were asking us, which is basically what is a Jedi? You know, we get these different, we get so many different kinds of Jedi, especially if you look at the the larger narrative and you look at, you bring in characters like Ahsoka and, um, you know, other characters from Clone Wars and Jedi that were successful and Jedi that left. And you get this, like, if, if, if you ask a, a thousand people, what a Jedi was, you're getting 900 different answers, you know? And that's kind of what I see us leading towards with the Mandalorian. And that's why the storytelling works on so many layers because you can get it at that base level of just like, he's having to figure out his identity and he's a father now and all of that stuff, right? That's a deep story. That's a story that connects with people and they're telling it in a special way. But again, the deeper and deeper you go, it's like, it's this never ending onion of possibilities and questions and that's what makes it really really exciting so can i can i add to the onion yeah yeah before we close this i just i because it literally just hit me and it it might be (laughs) awful ideas and drew you will find out that you will often disagree with me um that's just how i am um we're such uh, but zach that's fine it's not called agreeing all the time savers I, yeah, I'm not. I'm not always agreeable. So the, I put the clashing in clashing <laughs> sabers. But uh, you were there talking we about. You were talking about that. This is the story. The title of the show is called The Mandalorian, and Din is our main character. But what do we know about Din, and what do we know about the Mandalorians? Okay, so we know that he was not born a Mandalorian. He grew up and learned this specific way of the Mandalorian, and all of season one you see his rules, his code, and his people, his Mandalorians. So what did we just see in this episode? We see new Mandalorians. And as a viewer, you don't have to know who Bo-Kantan is to, to know. The show spells out these are different Mandalorians with a different code, okay? And so what you can kind of, us as Star Wars people, gather, and what we know is, when has there not been a time... In the new canon, where the Mandalorians united, they've never been truly united. And what is this character? He's an outsider, not grew, not completely from birth to the um, to adulthood. He didn't grow up with the prejudice of one clan versus the other. He grew up with one, and now he's learning about a new one. And you can tell, like when he leaves, there's respect between him and Bo-Katan. So what if he slowly 
tries to learn her way eventually. Maybe what if season two is yeah. not only about the child, but he learns and he, the Mandalorian, the Mandalorian, the Mandalorian, what if he is the gap? What if he bridges the gap between a divided Mandalore? What if that is the ultimate story? Not not to mention there, there are so many other layers with, with the child and stuff like that that I think is a main plot line too, but what if he is the bridge? That's just a question that I thought when Absolutely. you were mentioned that. So, sorry, throwing it out there. No, I think I think that's definitely a, a possibility. And I mean, the the metaphor I've gotten into this in my articles, you know, uh, that I've been posting for for each episode. The metaphors there are are totally about identity. You know, like you look at the crate dragon. And, ha- you know, it's it's got this basically indestructible armor on the outside and he has to go in to the internal in order and, you know, destroy it in order to be reborn. Um, there's so much birth symbolism happening here. Like there is a this, this season is going to be it, it's going to end with a rebirth of uh, Din Djarin and possibly Mandalorian culture as a whole. Like we'll have to see. Um, I do. I do want to just close saying like it's, it's it's exciting knowing that Favreau and Filoni have a plan for where they want this show to go, um, and they they kind of have it mapped out in the long term, kind of like Dave did with Rebels, um, because I mean Rebels ended about as perfectly as you could end, um, and so it's exciting to see where they're going with the Mandalorian, and uh, it definitely doesn't feel like. I know one of the major fears fandom had is that this was starting to sound like it was just going to be a setup show for all the other shows that were going to start happening. And I definitely think we can safely say that is not um, what's going to happen. So it's going to be exciting to see what the next, uh, I guess we have uh, five episodes left. I think the season's eight episodes. So we've got, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, it's crazy. So it's going to be jam packed. It's going to be jam packed. So, more to come on that later, and I know that Zach and Sam will be talking about that on Sith Talk uh, here real soon. But 45 minutes into the episode, because this is Clashing Sabers, it's time for our, uh, our break. And we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to talk about the Sith um, and just explore the history, the culture, and uh, what they mean to the Star Wars story. What have I done? Fulfilling your destiny, Anakin. Become my apprentice. Learn to use the dark side of the Force. I will do whatever you ask. Good. Just help me save Padme's life. I can't live without her. To cheat death is a power only one has achieved. But if we work together, I know we can discover the secret. I pledge myself to your teachings. Oh. 
The force is strong with you. A powerful Sith you will become. Henceforth, you shall be known as Darth Vader. Thank you, my master. Peace is a lie. There is only passion. Through passion, I gain strength. Through strength, I gain power. Through power, I gain victory. Through victory, my chains are broken. No, that was not Sam Witwer. That was me. That was me, guys. I know. You can't talk Calm about that. Calm down. not turning me on too much. Well, Are you going to make the same <laughs> joke? Turn it. I got it. The, the sultry tones of Brandon Boylan. Um, that is the Sith Code, guys. So that is what we're talking about tonight. Not just the Sith Code, but the Sith in general um, is going to be our discussion topic tonight. But I wanted to start with the code because I feel like... Uh, it, it's foundational for how we understand the Sith and how the Sith understand themselves. And being that the Sith broke off from um, the Jedi um, and you have this Jedi code and the Sith code that kind of reflect each other, I kind of wanted, you know, your guys' thoughts on, on where, what do you think about the code overall? Where do you think it works? Where does it fail? And, I mean, we have this other idea of in the, the Jedi code of peace is, or uh, there is no emotion, there is peace, peace and all these, uh, these kind of dichotomies that um, they're setting up. So, Zach, I'm going to throw it to you first because I know you have all kinds of thoughts here and you've probably spent um, hours and hours thinking on this. What is this? Does Sith code work? Does it make sense? Because to me, I feel like this is, it's not that bad. I think it's definitely, <laughs> I think it's definitely a motivational when it comes to like, when I think um, this, you know, n no, uh, no surprise I'm talking about working out, but when I think about like fitness or, you know, trying to learn a craft or any kind of skill, you start out kind of being bad at it. And you're always looking at other people who are better than you. And the goal is to be as good as them, if not better. So when I say, Peace is an, when they say peace is a lie, I look at that inner peace. People that are at peace, when, when you're trying to learn something or get better at a craft or get stronger or, you know, run more, you're, you're shaking up the foundation of your body. You're shaking up the foundation of your mind. How much can you really push yourself? I mean, you look at Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan won so many championships and he was never at peace with any of it. And that's what kept him going and what kept him winning more, perfecting his craft. Peace is a lie. There is only passion. That's Michael Jordan. Through passion, I gain strength. He gets stronger as he gets older. And that's that's why he got better. You look at 93 and 96. Through strength, I gain power. He gained control not only over the game, the court, the intimidation of people playing up against him, but the media. Um, through power, I gain victory. He had the power, so he gained victory, and through victory, his chains are broken. Now, the only thing that I would disagree with the Sith Code is through victory, my chains are broken. I think that's the biggest floozy about that whole thing is because if you know anything about people who are obsessed with their craft, obsessed with getting stronger, powerful, running an extra mile, they want to push themselves to their limits, you are never satisfied. Do some of my friends 
I'm a weightlifter. I I can I'm just a lot stronger than them. I can do that those things, but in my world, I'm nothing. I'm literally nothing. And I'm trying to be better constantly. And so I think the through victory, my chains are broken because uh, that's a lie because with a Sith Lord or with people who are truly obsessed with their craft, there is no victory. There is only going forward. You don't recognize the victory. Mm. You just keep pushing. So that's me. That's my rant. No, I, I, I think that's interesting because the, the Sith are, they're never satisfied, you know? Um, whether it, Hamilton. <laughs> all right to bring it back we we're talking about we found another i love it theater. yeah i mean palpatine rules the literal galaxy and he's like yeah but what's what's beyond that you know and they're it, it, the the sith are always chasing after this idea of defeating death you know the the thing that can ultimately break all of us you know is is death it's gonna it's gonna win every single time and they're trying to break that chain that they never can break um you know whether you have bane continuing on uh the sith line you know past himself that was his way of defeating death you have plagueis and palpatine to to some extent doing it uh Vader, we can come back to, but I think he does it in a way. And even Maul, you know, you think he's dead on Naboo and he is able to cling on to his hate in order to, um, in order to live on. They're always trying to cling to life and defeat death because death is that thing that ultimately is the chain that they can't break. And they're never going to be satisfied until they, uh, they achieve that. And I think it's interesting too, you know, thinking about that because... The last line, so the Jedi Code, um, just for those of you who are not familiar with it, is there's no emotion, there is peace, there is no ignorance, there is knowledge, there is no passion, there is serenity, there is no chaos, there is harmony, there is no death, there is the Force. The Jedi are, in those first sets of, of lines, are setting up, you know, this dichotomy of what there isn't and what there is, um, and it ends with there is no death, there is the force, right? So this continuation of, or, or this ignoring almost of death in favor of something higher where the Sith code, it's not denying anything. It, it's saying peace is a lie, um, but it's not a denying that it is something that is out there for people, right? Um, but that really... It's all about the passion. It's about the strength, the power. Like, they're always taking more, um, thinking that that is going to um, help them be victorious. And so I think there's kind of a, um, almost a two sides of the same coin happening, particularly in the end parts of those two uh, mantras of those two codes, because for the Sith, it's, it's that always chasing chasing more trying to break those chains and get more victory and get more power whereas with the the jedi it's a sense of letting go um which is interesting because when you look at it just at the surface level the sith code save for maybe pieces a lie seems a lot better um than you know the jedi code basically ignoring all emotions and ignorance and passion you know these things that are part of our everyday existence. 
If I could but see, in, yeah, go for it. I I think what makes these codes so interesting to interpret is that so much of it is, and, and what the force is in Star Wars is spirituality, and what it means to be, you know, in the sense of uh, self versus the greater universe. You know, I think. The Sith Code is very much about the individual, where the Jedi Code is about the not only you existing, but, you know, you existing within the world. For the sake of the argument, I'm going to use humanity. I know that there are many aliens in Star Wars, so don't be like, <laughs> oh, there's aliens too! It's just, bear with me. The issue with both of them is they fail to understand humanity in and how they interact with these mantras. There is no emotion. There's only, I've got it here. There's only, there's, there's no emotion. There is peace. It's denying emotion creates the very things that made, you know, the Jedi Sith. And that's what's so funny about both of them and how they both fail. I think one of the most interesting books I ever got to read that is now a, a, a Legends book, and I didn't read super-duper far into it, was Into the Void, where it talks, um, it's like these ancient Jedi, like they spell it differently, they throw like a comma in the middle. Um, but they talk <laughs> about balancing both aspects of the Force. To simply deny your anger does not help you. It does not bring you, you know, validation mm -hmm. of your emotions. I think is very fascinating when in... Attack of the Clones, which is my least favorite Star Wars movie. Just going to get that out there right out of the way. Um, you know, Padme's like, aren't you forbidden to love? And he's like, well, actually, we're encouraged to love. <laughs> which is truly not <laughs> what the message is at all, horndog Anakin. It's, it is the, the lack of their, you know, oh, sure, we have no emotion, therefore it's peace. The lack of emotion is just death. Us having emotions is being alive you know it, and that's what's so fascinating about how i think poorly written out the jedi code is and what makes the sith code so appetizing is that it's like as us as living beings we're like yeah I, i'm passionate about things and i i want to be strong and so that's why the sith code makes so much sense to us is because we're human beings but we're you were talking about the Jedi Code is all about restraint, restraint, restraint. You know, the Sith Code is all about indulgence and me. And it's all about, it doesn't matter about anyone else. Only I matter in this equation. And that's why they both fail. The Jedi Code is so about the everything that you'll never, you know, self-care for yourself. And the Sith Code is so me you know a narcissistic that you'll never get anywhere with it that's why mm -hmm. the rule of two exists because literally they were so into themselves and power drunk they kept killing each other so it's funny you talk about oh does the sith code work both of them fail on so many levels i i think because both of them you know like you pointed out both of them are are trying to get you to reach this unattainable um existence you know um in which i think if you look at you know 
some of the world's religions, there's there are some some sects I would say that want you to reach this unattainable perfection. But for the most part, I feel like most modern uh, most modern religions accept that we're imperfect, you know, and that yes, we're trying to be perfect while at the same time realizing that we can't be. Um, I feel like that's that's kind of a thread that goes through um, modern religion and spirituality, which. I don't think the Jedi and Sith allow for, which I think is is one of their their big um, problems overall. And to specifically look at the Sith, you know, they they're always they're always chasing something more to the extent where they're even, you know, um, almost too singularly focused, if you will. Like, for example, on uh, in Rebels when they go to the temple on Malachor. It's actually a battle station um, because the Sith are always preparing for war. So there's things that should be holy are actually destructive um, because the the path to the dark side is quicker and more seductive. Like it's always it's always destroying um, that which it comes in contact with because it can never be satisfied because it's chasing this unattainable thing. But I think the idea of the Sith started out, at least in Legends, to my, you know, my point of view, they were Jedi who were sick of living a lie to these rules. And what the Sith eventually became is what we now know them to be power-hungry, you know, murder machines. But the idea (laughs) of Ajanta Paul, when he left, was to embrace his emotion. He had so much pent-up emotion that he lashed out on his master and killed him because he was living so much of a lie. He could not control his emotions because he had, you know, he had ignored them for so long. So they go to this planet, Corban, and it's like free roam. You know, like everybody's binge drinking on the Force. The idea was meant to, why can't I just be me? And I think a lot of the, the faults of Anakin are the faults of the downfall of Anakin was being ignored and not being truly listened to because of the code. And having grown up in a extremely religious background, I kind of know what that feels like to sometimes have, you know, real world problems and, and not necessarily getting the answers that I'd like, because instead of talking to me as a human being, you're, you're reading scripture to me. And, and if that's, if that's what does it for you, like by all means, like that's awesome, but it just didn't do it for me. And I, I, I more preferred to hear life experiences. And I think, you know, Anakin and Yoda at the temple is the biggest scene to him deciding he could not trust the Jedi. Because he was trying to kind of hint where he was at. And Yoda was just like, learn to let go of everything you love. And he's like, well, I can't do that, dude. Sorry. I don't, but yeah, just learn to let go of everyone you ever loved. You want me to watch Obi-Wan just jump into a pit of acid or something? Like, yeah, I'm cool with it. All these years of him training me? Dope. Fine by me. <laughs> and that's when he finally decided to not trust into them. And when you have Palpatine, a master, charismatic politician who, who can read anybody and read any room, he's giving into this side of just being human. Now, he's a Sith Lord. And that's not who he really is. But when you see him on the surface level from an Anakin perspective, he's the only one that's truly listening to him and giving him real-world advice. 
which is why he listens to him. And that's the downfall of the Jedi. The downfall of the Sith is that they leaned in too much and had no restraint. So it's a little bit of both. And no, I'm not talking about Grey Jedi. <laughs> yeah, let's make that clear. Grey Jedi are not a thing. Um, it's interesting because there's a moment in the Charles Soule Vader comic when Vader says, I am not a Jedi, I have no limits. Um, which I think is kind of could be the Sith code in and of itself. Like they're the Sith are are literally willing to do to do anything. And we've seen that time and time again. Um, I mean, just if you just consider the fact that like everything that the dark side, uh, you know, comes in or not necessarily the dark side, but everything the Sith come in contact with contact with basically gets destroyed you know not just like the war aspects but you look at their planets you look at moriban and malachor and exegol like they're all corrupted down to their core you think about the jedi temple being on top of uh, this ancient sith artifact uh you know it, it gets basically you know corrupted from the inside um going as far back to you know lucas's uh early visions of the emperor you know being almost like a uh a foggy mist, um, not even corporeal, because the dark side had destroyed his his actual physical existence so much. So I definitely think there is um, some level of restraint that needs to to exist there, um, because if you're always seeking more and you never you never take the time to to be grateful for what you have, um, you know you're you're gonna end up like Anakin. Yeah, and I, I've always taken, like, um, real world, you know, it's, you see, at least for me, because I, I am really big into the fitness industry, and that's something I can't lean away because it's what I do five times a week. Um, you know, you see a lot of these guys who are natural lifters, they, they don't take any kind of steroids, and then you see the guys that do, and the guys that do are flooding the market, they're flooding social media right now, so if you're a new lifter... All you're seeing is guys that are on steroids and it's quick and it's easy and you feel good all the time. But while you may be on the exterior, this powerful, healthy individual, you're actually destroying your your body, a lot of your organs. So you're you're getting all this muscle, all these uh, very even uh, hormones when it comes to like you're always having energy, you're always feeling awesome. You feel great all the time and you are achieving and breaking boundaries a lot quicker, it does the damage on the body, and it does eventually damage on the mind, damage on the organs. And that's kind of where the Sith go. They get blood drunk because they are essentially taking a shot of steroids, but it's their emotions and their power, and they're leaning into it. And you can see where it's tempting, because you as somebody who wants to lift 400 pounds, but you're only lifting 185, and it, all you got to do is take this shot, or as a Sith or as somebody who wants to join the Sith, all you got to do is give in to your anger. It's tempting. It can be tempting. And so there's these lines that everybody has to face. But if we just talk about it and we just talk to each other, we all realize that we're all a little bit human. We all go through these things. Like there's a lot of things I'm sure over this um, time of us being with you guys, I'm going to learn a lot more about you. I'm going to learn a lot more about Drew. I've learned so much about Sam in two years. And it's because we're talking and we're learning and we're realizing, hey, we might be different, 
but there's these experiences that we can talk about and learn from each other and we can talk mm-hmm. as human beings yeah but if we if we talked everything out then there would be no fiction so because <laughs> literally every we story also, is about miscommunication um, we'd also have no. to delete twitter off of our phones because we wouldn't be able to communicate it anymore oh. <laughs> How glorious it would be. Uh, Drew, as, as you know, a father and as somebody who is raising his kids with a religious background, do you see anything in, not the execution of, but in the tenets of the Sith that you would want to, um, I guess, pass on to your kids? You know, like, not, not, not obviously in the, you know actual like you know genocide and things like that let's be clear that's we're, we're bad gonna steer, we're gonna steer clear of that probably yeah but tattoos okay. are probably okay once they're eight okay all right um i no be, <laughs> the the problem and i think sammy mentioned it earlier is the the, the code of the sith um is so self inward focused and puts person puts a person on a railroad path basically you know if this then that if this then that where you just progress to get to the point where you want and you and you get to the end where it's victory my chains are broken um requires an understanding of what your chains are and what the things that bind the average human being if we're going to stick with humanity um which is probably fair uh, victory derived from power is not what breaks those chains. Um, the things that are wrong with most, again, just the average human being, are probably not something that that pure strength and prowess are going to overcome. So mm-hmm. the, the, the source and strength of overcoming such chains are never going to be found internally, um, not in any kind of long-lasting... Uh, implications of any kind that I can that I can really think of. Now, there's there's self improvement, there's development, there's all kinds of things we can do to make ourselves better. But if we're using those things to better ourselves and not using them to better other people, then what truly is the points? Because once we die, we take all that and bury it in the ground. Now, the Jedi Code Absolutely. is not exactly the Jedi Code is not exactly a basket of of encouragement itself. It's not bad. Um, it's just not complete. Um, looking at the code on Wikipedia, there's actually a, an alternate version, which is interesting because it, it says emotion yet peace, ignorance yet knowledge, passion yet serenity, chaos yet harmony, death yet the force. So it's taking the same core concepts as the, the classic code, but it's removing the, there is no X, there is only Y. Um, which I would appreciate much better because, like we said before, emotions are part of our humanity. It's kind of what makes us all interesting. Um, and there's a allowance and acceptance of those emotions, but under the control of peace. There's an allowance for ignorance when you can admit, I don't know a thing, yet that must be overcome and controlled by knowledge. Your passion is definitely a part of who you are, yet passion without serenity becomes destructive and pointless. So there are things we can take from those and kind of apply to our lives. I think that, as in most things, when they're black and white, they're not super helpful. Um, These two things are so diametrically opposed to one another. They're they're strategically written that way, which is fine, um, but it makes it pretty easy to see through and say, okay, we know the Jedi failed. We've got three movies that pretty well document that entire downfall. That's fine. 
Um, so if you're going to take the polar opposite of that, there is an obvious and inherent failure in that code as well. Uh, it may not necessarily be as well played out in those same three films, but I think we have seen that over time, especially since there is no... Hmm, I was going to say there is no collective Sith, but that's not entirely true depending on which source materials you start looking at, unfortunately. Um, oh, God, there's a list. There's a list. I know. I was reading... <laughs> I was revisiting a lot of the uh, articles on, and I always get these backwards. It's either the fate of the Jedi or the legacy of the force series. The ones with the one Sith who apparently pop out of nowhere. I don't know if anybody else has read those books real quick. Anybody? anybody? Oh man. The legacy of the the force. I feel like I know what that is, but does the name Abeloth mean anything to anybody? No. No. Yes. But no, like distantly. (laughs) Right, it's, it's back there. So just to give you guys... So back in the day, there was a whole series of books where evidently there was this underground movement of the one Sith that was in hiding um, during the entirety of all six classic films. Um, and it was dark side users who were less ex-Jedi and more followed the race that was known as the Sith. So okay. Sith were actual alien types, you know, thousands yep. of years ago. They're, they're the ones who built the Masasi temples the on Yavin 4. And the Star Forge yep. and all that stuff. So there's a lot of weird stuff that starts occurring in some of those later books that were kind of, and, and, and rightfully so, swept under the Legends? rug. We don't really weird? talk about those anymore. No, never. I know, it's strange, but kind of fun at points. But, Brandon, your original question, is there anything you really want to take out of these? You, we can always learn something from everybody. And this is more just warnings, really. Um, peace is a lie. Well, okay, no. <laughs> Not really. Um, I don't think so, guys. It's, it is attainable. It is something that, is, that, that can be yours. Um, there is only passion. Well, again, no, because passion leads to strength and strength leads to power. Which So the very fundamental tenet of this thing that there's only passion is not exactly sound. Maybe that's the, the foundation upon which these other things are built, but mm, I don't really know that I see a lot of evidence of this actual thing working. The dark side truly does cloud everything. Even those who uh, bathe in its presence and take full advantage of the powers that it offers them. The dark side truly is you know, the cancer side of life and how it poisons and ruins everything it touches. It's, it's just amazing that even those who proselytize in the name of the dark side are themselves lied to by it I, that's just and, yeah and to, add to you, and, and to add to your you know i used the michael jordan analogy for the sith code uh i had recently watched the netflix documentary the last dance and i compare ah. michael jordan to the sith code because i think a lot of people that push their body and push their minds to these limits they truly believe that there is no peace. We keep pushing forward. You have to like, if you really look at the words to some people, they perceive there is no peace. We push forward. We just keep going. And when you listen to him talk a lot of the times, and I, I watched the whole thing. He seems like a man who is still not satisfied. He's still not happy. And <laughs> he yeah, no. never apologize he, for a good musical theater reference. Never. Uh, he's not somebody who's truly satisfied. And I think that's that's the gimmick of the Sith. And I think that is something us all as human beings have to learn, or at least something that I try to implement in my life is 
learning to have that drive that keeps pushing you forward, but not have such an unrealistic drive that you're never satisfied. You want to be proud of the moments in life, but you also want to push forward. And while I don't agree with the gray Jedi as a theory, um, I do agree with the tail end of their code, which is there is passion yet peace. There is serenity yet emotion. There is chaos yet order. And I believe in my life, I, I implement a perfect balance, or I don't always implement a perfect balance, but I really strive <laughs> to have balance in my life. I crave it more than anything. I love having my, I work hard at work and I play hard when I'm when I'm off work. I love working out and I push my body to, a, to its limits, but I also relax. I Sunday, uh, Saturdays and Sundays, I read comics and drink coffee and let life slow down. I crave this balance of mental clarity and physical fitness and all these things in my life. And I think that's the true. We're all seeking a balance of everything, work life, family life, relaxation versus pushing ourselves, passion, yet actually having peace. I think it's a little bit in the both, and, and that, that just kind of adds to what you're saying. I don't think anybody yeah, wins it, going one or the other. And, and I, part of, from a personal experience, once, that, once you can find a source for your peace, it inspires the passions otherwise. You know, it, it, that peace is what breeds other action. So it's not that peace is the end game. It is the engine by which everything else functions. So that kind of you know obviously the code of the Sith completely falls apart when you try and look at something like that but even the jedi don't really get that idea they they're they're all about serenity and harmony but again that's where they're trying like you somebody said um the scene where anakin is confessing to yoda his issues and yoda just says hey learn to let go letting go if that is their idea of peace like if if yoda's idea of peace is lack of attachments, inability to be harmed because I am not attached to anything else, that's not helpful because it doesn't take you anywhere. You know, Anakin is looking for the piece of how do I resolve the things that bother me so that they do not bother me anymore. But he's not getting that kind of, that kind of counsel, that kind of uh, pastoral care that he really does need in that moment. And, and like you guys said, that he can kind of, he flips a switch in his head where this is not getting me what I, I need anymore. And I, I no longer can commit to this a hundred percent. Yeah. And, well, and the only one who sees it in them. Oh, there's you're so misunderstood. Oh God, get <laughs> out of here with that. There's um, it's interesting because, you know, when, when someone dies, you know, we say, you know, may they rest in peace, you know, rest in peace is kind of the, you know, it goes on the tombstone. It's, it's what we hope for people when they pass. Right. But the the Sith are just straight up denying that, which makes it interesting. I mean, obviously, like, rest in pieces from our world, not necessarily from the Star Wars galaxy, but this story is, is being told in our world. So it's interesting that the, the Sith forego peace. They just don't even try to reach a state of peace when in, in our lives, that's kind of what we seek by the time we die. And the Sith are, are always chasing after that eternal life you know they're always striving to defeat death in one one way shape or form i mean even going back to the bane trilogy there's that um 
uh, you know, the ending of that spoiler alert, the ending of that is him maybe, or maybe not. Uh, it's kind of left up to interpret to putting his consciousness into his apprentice. And we, we have, um, in rise of Skywalker Palpatine talking about being all of the Sith. And there's, there's almost a sense, at least in the way that I understand rise of Skywalker, the way that I read it, that there literally is to some extent, all of the Sith inside Palpatine. Like there is some, transfer of spirit from one to the other because they are always trying to um defeat death whereas when G when ray says i am all the jedi it's more of a i am embracing all of these people because we just mm -hmm. hear the voices around her right she's more surrounded by them whereas we have these ideas of these cis spirits like hanging on um going back to to clone wars um when we see bane um, on Moraband, uh, he's at. It says on StarWars.com, a form of his spirit was bound to the Valley of the Dark Lords of the Sith planet of Moraband, um, which is is just really compelling because it's a form of his spirit, like not necessarily his spirit, but a form of it. Um, so if that's if if he's clinging to life in that way, and we see Palpatine clinging to life, you know, this is historically something that they do i think it, it's plausible that to some extent you know the the sith are all inside palpatine um hmm. it's just interesting that that the the thing that you know they that we would say that we seek that, that most people would seek are the thing is the thing that they're saying they're not even going to have any business business with, and thus they can never really fulfill, you know, what everybody really seeks in life. They can never be satisfied, like we've been saying. So the group. Yeah, I mean, I I interpret uh, the rise of Skywalker a little bit differently, and that that really, honestly, is a topic for uh, another time when it comes to me because I. I do struggle with some of the things of Rise of Skywalker, despite it aesthetically. And if you look at the initial script being one of the coolest Star Wars scripts, um, I don't interpret it that way. I interpret it the same way that Ray interprets it. Like he is the essentially since the Sith are always fighting to be the best of the best of the best of the best. He is the accumulation of all of the Sith. I don't, I don't literally think that, Darth mm, Bane is in whispering or embodying their voices inside of his head because that's more of a reincarnate thing. How does that work? It, I, I don't, I don't know how that works because how would I? I mean, I guess you could. I, I, I don't know. Multiple minds, multiple stuff like that. I, I just don't see how you could defeat someone as a single individual who is literally got all these voices of experience. I think it's more of the like almost like a genetic line somebody who's trying to perfect a genetic line to be the the ultimate human being i think that's mm -hmm. kind of what the sith are trying to do and if theoretically everybody's getting more and more powerful with every lineage eventually like palpatine would be able to crush revan in a second because he is lineages away from from Revan and he has learned so much more because of his, you know, everybody rising into power and getting better. Ray, I think is quite the opposite of what you're saying. 
Ray is still just Ray, but because the Jedi don't crave death, they have this one with the Force where they exceed into an afterlife because they don't crave it and they can commune with her. So she's not the exactly all of the Jedi, like all the Jedi aren't talking in her head, but they're there and they can talk to her and there's still more to learn beyond death. And I think Ray is hearing voices from, you know, being one with the force. She's not the accumulation of like a reincarnate and neither is Palpatine. It's just, he, she can actually commune with the Jedi because they don't crave death and that's how they become one. You and I can see that. that sequence a lot more credit than I would have given that sequence, which is which is fine. But I, to me, the way that sequence played out works a lot better if you put it in the rules of the Dragon Ball Z world. Honestly. Oh, I hate it. I hate that line. I hate all. Yeah. I am all the Sith and I am all the Jedi. I, I hate it from a writing perspective. It, it's very but if you're breaking it's very reductive. Power level at. It's over 9,000. That's, ex- that's exactly what that sequence looks like to me because when Palpatine says, I am all the Sith, it's he's... Well, and we have to think about how the two groups acquire power, where the Sith take it by stealing and backstabbing, where he has acquired the powers and knowledge of his master, who stole it from his master, who stole it from their master, back and forth, all the way down. Whereas the Jedi, would, um, we see in the sequence, donate their powers to Rey. It is, it is a, an amalgamation of all of their experiences and all of their strengths, whereas the Sith are, are just literal pick-and-choosers of what they're taking with them. And that's what in that sequence, that's why Ray is overpowering uh, Palpatine and destroys him in the end. I like that you guys are giving it that kind of philosophical, spiritual uh, credence, but uh, I don't know that it bears out in the film. I mean, from, from the <laughs> level, to be quite honest, I broke it down that way because if we're looking from the Star Wars world, that's what makes sense to me. But if we're kind of being honest, it was just some guy trying to create a, a crafty line when he was writing this yeah story. i mean personally well, i have some a, i have a lot of issues with rise of so, skywalker we, we don't use Perio. his name around here um probably no not him <laughs> it, him and jj abrams well they they did it together but because chris um, terrio did write bvs which i am a big fan of but the the well, the, 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 the dialogue's not always great there either so yeah, so here's a here's exactly a thing a, 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 a fight in his corner he's gonna win <laughs> here's here's the thing that's interesting though is like on Exegol we see um these Sith cultists, right? And if the 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 Sith are, are trying to, like you say, Zach, create this basically this ultimate person, um, this perfect being, that would fit with more of a cult where we look at the the Jedi more as a religion, right? And if we put that in the context of our own world, you know, what we call a cult versus what we call a religion is it functions very much the same. You know, when you when you get something like say Scientology that, you know, basically looks up to this one being you know, an actual like human being as being this perfection, um and and always trying to not even trying to attain that, but trying to um, I don't even know how to put into to words exactly what Scientology does because it's so crazy. It's all but, in the rebranding, Brandon. Yeah, as exactly. Tom, as 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 Tom Segura would say, 
if you get called a cult because your religion is not old enough. It's not old <laughs> enough, so you can't know. I'm kidding. So instead of saying Sith cultist, you can say Sith loyalist. Just like when somebody says, I'm not an alcoholic, I'm a beer enthusiast. You just you right. gotta rebrand. It's so, all about the it's all about the branding, yeah. Absolutely. So you, you talk about those Sith cultists, okay? You mean the Acolytes of Beyond? Oh, wait, we didn't think to connect those two together and put that together with the Aftermath series. Uh, well, but here's, a, we here's the thing, though. Here's, <laughs> he, here's the thing is, you know, we look at the Sith as a cult, you know, because they're following what the general populace accepts as what is wrong, Right. Whereas we look at the Jedi as good because they are going after what the you know general populace accepts as good, you know, in the yeah. same way that we would, well, loose, loosely they're, speaking. They're the FBI. Let's not. Uh, <laughs> let's talk, we could talk about that later. The but but if you look in you know our real world when you look at even um, you know like I was saying Scientology that's following these tenets that most people can you know except are not necessarily the best whereas um most people you know can look at like like let's say christianity for example you know maybe not the practice of you know because people have had bad experiences with that but the things that jesus teaches about loving you know loving others and taking care of each other and helping the poor like people can accept that that's something that you know we should be doing in the same way that they can accept something the Jedi, you know, what the Jedi are saying about helping people and trying to seek peace and trusting in a, a power higher than yourself. And the real, the fall of the Jedi doesn't become in the form of what they believe, but in the actual execution of what they believe, which is, well, you know, interesting I mean, because the, the Sith are a lot better at executing what they believe in, you know? Like the Sith just... They want ang they have anger, hate, power. Those are the things that they are proclaiming that they believe in, and they do a much better job of living those tenets out um, than the Jedi. Uh, but the problem is, obviously, those things are are not good because you know I always I always try to, especially with like my students and stuff, you know, try to tell them like being angry isn't wrong, being upset isn't wrong, being mad like we give these connotations to these emotions as if they're negative but it's not the emotions that are negative it's the things that we do with said emotions you know you can be angry and go cool off you know or go turn that into a, a good workout or a good uh, piece of writing or a good song right or you can you know go down the darker path with that anger you know it all comes down to the choices that we make um and I think what happens is, especially, you know, we see this in our world, but, you know, in the context of the Sith, you end up getting so deep in there that there's just, it seems like there's no way out, you know, and that's, I think that's the story of Vader's. He just gets so deep into the darkness that he's like, well, I guess this is just who I am now, you know, and mm. um, that's what's, that's what's something that's interesting about the, the Sith is you get these different, um, these different versions of it, you know, we, we think of it like anger and hate and those are all there. But if you look at like Bane and Plagueis, you know, they were more power hungry, you know, and were intentionally using it in that way. Based. Yeah. Whereas Vader and, and even 
to an extent Maul that we see in Clone Wars are more um, they're using the dark side more as a punishment for themselves and their failures and where they feel like they went wrong. So there's, but, but all of them are acting out of these emotions that we say are negative, you know? Um, but it's not that, it's not that they feel that that's the problem. It's, it's how they act and what they do with those emotions that really defines whether you do become, I mean, honestly, to go, to go back to what we were talking about, that's what decides basically if you're a cult or a, a religion is, you know, are you doing something that benefits people or are you not, you know, um, are you doing something that is, is only benefiting your sect, which is what the Sith do, or are you doing something that is at the very least striving to, um, better the world around you, which is what the Jedi are doing. It's a nice analysis. I like that. I often always see, um, you know, Jesus is kind of like a good example for what a good Jedi would be. Because when you look at the Bible, a lot of times he broke down the barriers of these um, religions that ignored people based on their rules. And he kind of said, like, you know, he who he without sin cast the first stone, you know, like, let's be real here, guys. Like this was written, but let's be real. Who hasn't sinned? Who doesn't have sin? We all have sin but we have to keep trying to be better. That's like kind of Jesus's message and he's shown it through power. But like when, when uh, the Pharisees were, you know, making an abomination out of his father's house, he got mad and he, and he flipped tables. He was justified for being angry and he didn't shy away from it. He did not shy away from it because he knew he was right. He embraced his emotion. So he embraced in his he embraced his emotion. He allowed others to confide in him, and he also accepted that realism versus like these codes. There are codes, there are rules we should try to live by. But let's be real: he without he without sin cast the first stone. And I think that's like kind of what the Jedi should always eventually, which we don't really get answers with the sequel trilogy. Which is a kind of a huge complaint of mine, um, but eventually I think we're going to get the the Jedi that kind of embrace their emotion. They don't ignore it, but they also strive to be the best people they can be. But like they're also just regular sentient beings. They they can't always be perfect, and instead of having these codes that they can't talk about because they're afraid to mention to somebody, they can confide in each other. And I think that's what really makes. Even the legends, uh, which is sometimes kind of wonky story-wise, <laughs> it makes the old legends New Jedi Order a little bit better because they are a little bit more human. They're actually allowed to be people. They're are sentient, I guess, because there's multiple races in Star Wars. Um, so sentient beings are allowed to be sentient beings, and they're allowed to relate with each other, and everybody's allowed to be their own type of person. And while the stories sometimes lack, depending on what series you're checking out, it's also something really awesome to see because it is a shift in the Jedi. Yeah, and it's hard to, I mean, because the the Sith are, are painted so clearly as evil and, and they are in Star Wars, you know? Um, but at the same time, a lot of them that were given have 
tragedy to them, right? Where you could see where they could have gone the right way, you know? Um, like, what would have happened if Maul had been found by a Jedi instead of, um, you know, Mother Townsend giving him to Palpatine? You know, there's a lot of potential there. Um, and they... Here's a, the, the thing that's interesting about the Sith, if you, you know, are looking in the tenets of what they are, is they're always trying to, like we talked about, they're, they're trying to make their apprentice better, you know, which I think is something that is, uh, again, you know, whether you, whatever religion you go to, is something that people are always trying to do, you know, um, I think. They're tr you have these mentor type of relationships within um, religious organizations where one is trying to um, or should be trying to lift up another, right? That's something to go back to using Jesus as a metaphor. That's something that he was doing was showing like that you should be trying to make the lives of other people better and lift them up instead of lifting yourself up, right? Which is something that the Sith do. Like the Sith are trying to make their apprentice better knowing that they're you know, going to, to continue the metaphor, be Judas, um, and, and rise up and kill them. You know, that's, that's the rule of two. That's what has allowed the Sith to survive for, for so long. So again, it just comes down to the, the idea of make this person below you better, so much better that they don't even need you anymore. Like as a teacher, I look at that and I'm like, I can kind of see it. You know, because I always tell my kids, like, my job is to make sure I don't have a job at the end of the year because you guys should be so good that you don't even need me here. You know, because the lucky thing is there's always going to be another class that's going to need me next year. Right. But that's kind of what the Sith are doing. They're trying to create this void where they the, the master that exists now is not needed because they're they're too weak. Um, so that. Again, it just comes, it's it's the execution of it that's the problem, you know? Like, it's not become better than me and then go out and teach other people. It's become better than me and kill me because I'm not worthy anymore and get somebody else who's going to do the same to you. Um, that creates this very toxic environment uh, that, you know, not not conductive for as far as, uh, as far as, you know, a healthy, well-rounded life is concerned. Absolutely. So let's let's get into the rule of two a little bit um, because it, it was created by Bane, you know, because like we said, the Sith were uh, destroying each other. Basically, what was happening is you would have multiple uh, weaker Sith rise up, defeat the master and then kind of infight among themselves of who gets to take the position. And so basically there was a weakening going on and, and Bane resolved that by creating the rule of two. But what's interesting is the bulk of the rule of two uh, that we see is in the Sidious kind of Palpatine era. And Sidious plays really fast and loose with that uh, rule of two. <laughs> like... Um, they're more like guidelines. Yeah. Like, technically, he only had one apprentice at a time. But there was always those ancillary darksiders out there, whether it be Ventress or the Inquisitors or whatever it may be. And if you if you take the Plagueis book, then, you know, you do have him completely bucking the rule of two and having um, Maul even while he was the apprentice. So 
It was an assassin. Come on. Yeah. Who dis? I got my other phone for this, my other phone for that. I got Virgin Mobile, $20 text. Man, who is this? Uh, my city is a papatine to you. Oop, you know? Oh, go ahead to kill you now. He had a side girl. I mean, that's essentially what he did. He, he yeah, would have like, main, his main squeeze. And... Literally, though, because, like, even in the comics, so in the original uh, Vader run, there he's basically having the, the scientists create uh, possible apprentices for him to see if they can replace Vader. And then when Vader's like, you created them to, you know... Uh, usurp me to take my spot he kills them all and Palpatine's like were they ever going to though you know it's like it's like um it, it, it's like you your, your best friend kisses your girl right and then you know you guys break up and it's like doesn't matter if I kissed her cause you know you were never gonna last anyway so it's not like it's a, but it's like that's not a healthy friendship. That's not how you how you have a good um, relationship. It's just this. It's not the the appropriate level of give and take. It's just like take. That's the thing. Yeah, and I I think it, it, it to add to your analogy, it's almost like having a girlfriend and flipping through Tinder just to see if there's a stronger suitor, you know? Yeah. That's, that's it. But that's what Palpatine was always doing. And I mean, that's, he definitely abused the rule of two and he, he's uh, notorious for being obsessed with finding the perfect apprentice, but he could never find the truly perfect one. And he thought he had it with Anakin and he's hated, he hated Vader ever since, ever since he made that move. And there's a little chapter um, in a certain point of view, Empire Strikes Back. I won't say anything about it, but he kind of you you do slightly hear his point of view from all of that, and it's super fascinating. So you should definitely check out uh, from a certain point of view, The Empire Strikes Back because there is a Palpatine chapter chapter um, voiced by Sam Witwer. If you're doing Audible, which I could not do that just straight up reading it, the Audible is what makes those books awesome for me they get a wide cast um but they kind of lean into the whole palpatine and his unrest and it's super fascinating because it does lean into that and um i think that was palpatine's downfall always looking for a better apprentice always making these deals always trying to find what the best thing was and there was never peace which is the downfall of the sith Palpatine never had peace. He had an entire galaxy, and he was still not satisfied. It's it's. I mean, in in a way, it's kind of tragic, um, because you know, obviously, Palpatine is not a sympathetic character or a tragic character. He's just evil. He's a personification of it. But yep. just in in terms of the ideology, you know. Um, you, you kind of feel bad that they're never really going to be able to achieve what they really want to achieve because what they want to achieve, they don't even have figured out, if we're being honest, you know? Um, and and I think that comes from, you know, where, where their foundations are laid. Um, there's 
a line in The Phantom Menace, it's it's Maul's only line, and it's always stuck with me. He says, at last we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi, at last we will have re- revenge. And this this line has always gotten to me because just of what, you know, going to the, the corruption at the surface level, there's no evidence from what we have, even now with all the additional Maul stuff, not even when that line was written, but now with the additional Maul stuff, that he was victimized by the Jedi at all before, uh, you know, the whole cutting him in half thing um, that happened. But in terms of him needing to get revenge, and I think that's kind of the, creates the cult-like nature of the Sith, is they want these things that they don't even have any foundation of wanting. Like, why why does Palpatine want revenge on the Jedi? What did they do to him? You know, we don't have anything to say that. Maul, what, he, we don't have anything to say that. Even looking at uh, Dooku, you know, um, Dooku left and he left because he, um, spoiler alerts for Dooku Jedi lost, but he left basically because the Jedi weren't allowing him to maintain communication with his sister and, and ignoring the problems of Sereno, but that's not really a revenge mission. Um, you know, and so the I think that's the the big thing is that the 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 weird thing about the Sith or, or kind of the hard thing to wrap your head around as far as the Sith are concerned is they never really lie. And at the same time, their entire existence is a lie, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of. Again, I mean, you you go back to, you know, back around circle is they literally can't achieve. They'll never achieve what they want to achieve. They'll never fully cheat death. They'll never fully find peace. You have all this power, you know, and it's, again, for another example, you, you look at a lot of businessmen, billionaires. What is that work life? How, you know, what do you sacrifice working all those hours to make this money? And your intentions are to give plenty for your family, but a lot of times what happens is your family just wants you. But, like, you're always chasing something else to provide for them. But they just want you. So, I mean, they'll never fully achieve what they're trying to achieve. But I, I, I just, again, it's the, it's the give or take. It's, it's there, there's never peace. There's never, you're ne- you know, everybody, like these businessmen, a lot of them, you know, they chase what they can't because they didn't have it maybe growing up. And now they just keep chasing and keep pushing forward but they're missing out on so many different aspects of life. And I think that's what the Sith are. They're chasing this power, this gratification, you know, Anakin just, you know, when he, even when he was power hungry, he wanted to, we can do this together, me and you. He just wanted to be with his family and his only, because the Jedi ignored him, his only rational blood drunk dark side rationality was, well, I'll just, he, he literally thought he had to rule the galaxy to be able to be with Padme openly. That, that, that That's my interpretation, at least, is that he yeah. literally thought the only way to be with Padme openly was to rule the entire galaxy at that point. That was his only way. One thing that they hammer in again and again, just to kind of like surmise this, is that fear is the path to the dark side. 
And what causes fear is lack of control. And again, they say through power, my chains are broken, this idea of freedom. The more power I have, the more free I'm going to be. And so, you know, that's the, I mean, if there was a, a lie of the Jedi, or a lie of the Jedi, a lie of the Sith, is that that there is a degree where if you become powerful enough, you'll be able to control it. And I think that echoes your kind of CEO businessman uh, analogy, is that there are people out in the world that just believe if they have a certain amount of more dollars or that next limit, that next thing, that that's when they'll find their satisfaction and their 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 purpose. And most of the time, you will not get the, the what you seek at the end of that line. Anakin, out of love, if we're going to call it that, yeah, love, believed that he could save and help Padme, when ironically, he himself was the danger to her through his, his blind chasing of power. So, you know, I think it's an interesting lesson on, you know, just showing that no matter what you do or try, not that you're not in control of your life, because obviously we make decisions every day that affect that, but that there is, you can't control everything, that some things are simply out of your power and that that's okay. And that's maybe more the acceptance line of the Jedi where the Sith just simply couldn't accept that they weren't the ones controlling it and ultimately it was their destruction. Fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. Yeah, I mean, I think that pretty much, that that kind of sums up, that you could literally just put that on the Wikipedia page for the Sith um, because... They they never had a chance, and that's why characters like Vader and like Maul, who we see never having a chance. You know, Dooku is one thing um, because he had he had the exposure to the Jedi. He had the choice, um, and yes, Vader made his own decisions, and yes, Maul made his own decisions. But you know, Maul was taken as a child, and brought up in an abusive home you know and and it's like vader uh you know anakin rather was was trapped by palpatine so it, it's makes those characters tragic but then also makes characters like palpatine and and um even going back to like Plagueis and stuff it makes it easy for us to uh, despise them and to look at them as the evil for this story, which again, for a story that, you know, going back to what we were talking about at the very beginning at, at its surface level is just a story of good and evil, but there are so many layers beneath that. Um, I think the Sith are, are a perfect example of that. Um, and the perfect foil for the Jedi. And, we could talk about this for another, what, three or four hours if we wanted to, especially with the Lord of Lore on here. We've got so much that we didn't even get into with Old Republic and, and each of the characters individually, but I'm sure we will be getting into that more and more with Sith Talk on on the network now and uh, future podcasts that we have coming out. So make sure that you are tuned into the network and you press that subscribe button so that you can get all of our shows, including Forever Star Wars and Starships and Don't Burn the Sacred Text. And then, of course, Sith Talk and the Clashing Sabers podcast. So you can find us um, if you 
you are not following us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Clashing Sabres. And of course, you can come join our fantastic uh, Facebook group where you won't have to worry about Mandalorian spoilers because everybody's all respectful of each other and stuff. Um, that is Star Wars Clashing Sabres. And we would love it if you do, do just uh, two favors. One, one little thing, just go leave us a rating and review so more people can find us. It's pretty simple. Another one, if you got a, if you got a spare dollar a month, maybe a spare two dollars, three dollars a month, uh, jump over on our Patreon. Get some uh, of our commentaries on the movies, and we're going to have some Clone Wars, Rebels commentaries, um, and commentaries on other movies coming soon, depending on what level that you are on. And a hundred percent of that goes towards getting books, uh, Star Wars books, into schools and classrooms across the country. So make sure that you go check that out. And uh, links for all. All of us will be in the uh, show description, and uh, you know what, Sith talk. Let's see. Let's see if you're you're really up to snuff to be here on the Clashing Sabers Network. Batch eight. What? Whoops. Say say hi ho. Say say hi ho. Hi ho. Hi ho. There it is. Well, we got some homework. You, you're, yeah, well, that was, that was embarrassing. The podcast you just listened to and all other Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of ClashingSabers.net. All sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff, and we just use different informational and educational purposes. Bottom line, we made it, it's ours, they made it, it's theirs. Seems simple, but if you're still confused, feel free to email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. We have no association with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about. But, Kathleen Kennedy, if you need anything, let me know. I work for cheap. Now let's blow this thing and get out of here.